Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. The last 28 years have been uh, working in missions with Youth with a Mission, YWAM, and I, I tell people back in those days I was youth, well, relatively youth with a mission, um, and I've, I've lived and, and worked in nations all over the world, but my predominant uh, nation or part of the world that I've lived in the last 15 years was India. And uh, Donna, as she said, and actually I don't know if there's anyone here from that team. Was anyone on that team that came to India with Donna? There was Danny. Um, Danny and Justin, although Justin didn't come. There was a, actually Ormo Church, the birth of Ormo, uh, that group of people were the first team from Gateway to come to India uh, to visit me. And we had an amazing time. Andrew uh, led that team, Maney, and, and he was in his element. He loved all the different types of food. He was tasting everything. He loved everything. A man after my own heart. Well done. Uh, have any of you been to India? Yeah, one person. Isn't it an amazing place? India is, um, it's in your face, as in the extreme, extreme color, extreme sounds, extreme um, spices. And I mean, it really is uh, just an amazing place for the types of curries and biryanis. And, you know, it depends. Some of you are really like Indian food and perhaps some of you don't. But it really is an amazing place for um, particularly, I think, vegetarians and they just know what to do with lentils, and they do amazing food. And, uh, you know, I, I love a good curry, and I even am so bold as to say I like a vegetarian curry in India because it really is very, very tasty. But India is the only nation, this is a true story, where I was discriminated against, discrimination, because I wasn't a vegetarian. I was applying for a housing complex. They have housing societies, uh, a, like a gated community in Mumbai. And you have to be interviewed. And uh, there's two things that kind of were, were crosses against me that I didn't get into this housing society. One was because I was, it's called that in India, I was a spinster. I wasn't married, and in Indian culture, um, you live at home with your parents, God help me if that had been the case, until you marry, because I would still be living with my parents at the age of nearly 57. But um, so because I wasn't married, that was a, a mark against me. And then as I sat in this interviewing, uh, it's like applying for a job, a panel of people from the society, they asked me, are you a vegetarian? And I said, no. And they all went, and they said, well, I won't use the accent, but they said, we're very sorry, but um, this housing society is only for vegetarians. And I went, what? <laughs> but it was a housing society. You could only live there if you were a vegetarian. Now, I'm the sort of person that, you know, I love nothing better than a good, juicy steak. 
Last night I went out for dinner and I had lamb chops and I enjoyed every mouthful of it. The lady beside me had a pumpkin lasagna and I thought, what a way to kill a lasagna, put pumpkin in it. But, you know, I'm the sort of person, if it doesn't have a bone in it, it's not a meal. It ha- uh, do I get an amen? Come on. It's probably the only amen I'm going to get this morning, but, but that's okay. So I, I like to, you know, have a meal with, with, you know, steak and vegetables, that sort of stuff. But my brother, I have an older brother, he's been a vegetarian for about, oh, I guess about 30 years now. And uh, he did it for health reasons. But, you know, occasionally I meet uh, people such as, I'm going to pick on someone here, Debbie, because Debbie and I shared an office together. Debbie, give a wave so everyone knows who I'm making fun of, yes. And uh, Debbie is a vegan. And, um, you know, when I, I, I've been at Gateway about 15 months, and so Debbie and I were sharing an office in the first week, and I said, so what is a vegan? You know, what, what's that about? And so Debbie was telling me, I think, Hannah, it all started with you. And... Uh, You know, I said, so why are you a vegan? And Debbie said, well, no real reason. And I said, well, you know, I understand if it's for dietary, and I understand if it's for health, and I understand if it's for animal rights, but but just by choice? And uh, I couldn't resist. I've paid out on Debbie ever since. But let me just show you this uh, picture. Yeah, I had to send that to Debbie because, you know, (laughs) I, I don't understand vegetarians. Do we have any other vegetarians or vegans in our midst? Come on, own it. Put your hand up. Own it with pride. No? Uh, You're the minority. You're small but strong. Well done, you pair. Everyone else is like, we're not putting our hands up. She's going to make fun of us. But (laughs) this morning, actually, I want to talk about a vegetarian, or I should say someone who chose to be a vegetarian. And can you think of who I'm going to be talking about this morning? Daniel. Daniel. That's right. I want to talk about Daniel, someone who chose vegetables and water over the finest of fare. Now, when you think about Daniel, just turn to the person beside you and tell them what do you think of, what stories come to mind, what characteristic do you think of when you think of Daniel? Tell the person beside you. Now, I can't tell with your mask if you're all just looking at me going, what? Or, but, okay. Somebody call out. What do you think of? I I heard you say something. The lion's den. Daniel and the lion's den. Or maybe even some of you thought of the fiery furnace, yeah? We often think of Daniel and the amazing faith and the amazing courage and confidence he had in God as he went into the lion's den. As we know that story, um, uh, you know, Daniel, uh, a decree was made that whoever didn't bow down and pray to the emperor would be thrown into the lion's den. And Daniel would only pray and would bow down to God. So he was thrown into the lion's den, but the lion's mouths were kept shut. And uh, for 24 hours or overnight, and Daniel wasn't eaten. And so it's a story we often use, particularly in the children's uh, classes, to talk about someone who had faith, someone who had absolute confidence in who God was. But today I want to talk about Daniel and 
and the fact that he fought the fight, he got the courage, he got the confidence, he grew the faith, not in the lion's den, but firstly and primarily at a dining room table. That is where he learnt faith and where he fought for courage and he stood up in confidence for who God was. And so today I want to spend some time just talking about why we should eat our vegetables. Why vegetables are good for us. Now it's a shame the kids went out before I went into this sermon because parents, this is where you could have nudged them and went, see, now you listen to this. Why we should eat our vegetables, yeah? And uh, so I've got some vegetables here today. Um, I could bring up volunteers to eat them, Hannah and, uh, and Debbie, maybe a bit later on, and we'll get into this. But uh, let me just pray this morning. Father, as we uh, look at your word today, we ask that you would just open our eyes and our ears. Father, this is often a story that we're very familiar with, and because of that, we don't see the nuances and the things that you're wanting to prompt us with. And so this morning, we look to you. Open our ears and our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you speak and teach and reveal the things you're wanting to say today? In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning I want to read quite a large passage of scripture. So if you can got your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 1, and it will come up on the screen as well. Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to start from verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of, the, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. 
Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom." So that is quite a familiar passage. And, you know, even as a church, we've just recently finished 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I had conversations with several uh, members of the congregation that said, oh, I'm doing the Daniel diet. So it's, it's quite a, a common, you hear of the Daniel diet, which is vegetables and water. And so let's just look at this. Let's put this passage into the context of what was going on at that time in Israel's history. So Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, which is today modern-day Iraq, it had been foretold by prophets in, in years earlier to the Israelites, to the Jewish race, to the people of Judah, that... They were cautioned by the prophets if they did not follow in the ways of the Lord, if they did not separate themselves from the nations around them unto God, that they would face exile and slavery, that invading armies would come and take the people captive into these nations unless they walked in obedience to the Lord. And even though the Israelites knew this had been foretold them by many of the prophets, they still married foreign women, they disobeyed, they, you know, did all the things that they shouldn't do. And so we find Nebuchadnezzar ends up invading Israel, invading Jerusalem, where he breaks down the walls of the royal city, he destroys the temple, and he, he calls his soldiers to go into the palace and literally take captive many of the royal family. So it'd be like, you know, overstorming Buckingham Palace and taking Harry and William and Kate and Megan and, you know, parts of the royal family and taking them as slaves back to Babylon. And so what we see is the king being very strategic in why he was doing that. By taking the most educated, the most um, 
celebrity people in a nation, he left just the poorer, uneducated remnant, just a few there in Israel, uh, to, to keep the you know, soil tilled, toiled, uh, toiling and tilling, whatever all that stuff is. But then taking the other people, the most educated, the royals, the most intellectual, back to Babylon. And then what he did is he assigned these royal uh, young people into a rigorous training for three years where they would essentially be indoctrinated into Babylonian culture, into Babylonian language, into Babylonian learning as a way of basically indoctrinating and changing uh, this embracing of Babylonian culture. And so we see as part of his training, it wasn't just a physical and an intellectual training, it also involved a training that required, now you may be thinking, well, I don't understand that part of the training, but it required them to eat the menu set by the king himself. And so we see in verse 5, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So we see that he assigns them this food, but Daniel and his three friends, again, we've read this, but let's look at their response in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asks the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So, okay, let's, let's just flesh this out a little bit. What's the big deal about eating the food and the wine that the king has on his dining room table? Well, Daniel and his friends understood that Food in these nations, food and drink, and actually it's still very common. You see it in nations like India. This is a very common thing amongst Hindus. Any food that you buy or, or wine that you consume is first offered in sacrifice to the gods as a way of thanking the gods. In some ways, there's parallels to Christians praying before we eat. Thank you, Jesus, for this food that's set before us. So it was very common in those times that food was offered to gods as a sacrifice before it was laid out on a table, before it was prepared. And so the king, again, being very strategic, he knew that by having Daniel and his friends consume this food, they would already be compromising. They would already be uh, choosing to subtly let go of the convictions which were, in the Old Testament, there was one God, and to him only do we give all glory and honor, the one worthy of all our worship. And they knew that their laws and regulations in that time forbid them from entering into anything like eating food that had already been sacrificed to God, practices of the nations around them. And this is why Daniel and his friends refused to eat it. Now, some of you may already be thinking to the New Testament, well, hang on a second, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 
Paul, the disciple Paul, he talks about this very issue of food being offered to idols. And Paul basically says, because there is only one true God, Yahweh or Jesus, because remember Paul was during the time of Jesus, New Testament, there's only one true God. In other words, all these other gods are not the true God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it's okay to eat food offered to idol according to your own conscience. But that's the New Testament. And what we need to understand in the Old Testament, these laws, regulations govern the Jewish people govern the Israelites. And that is why Daniel refused to eat the food along with his friend. And he resolved himself not to be defiled in this way. He understood that subtly letting go, even choosing the king's food, was a slippery slide to compromise. You know, one small step at a time into compromising the things that God had asked them not to do. And so I, I want to just quickly look at three uh, lessons that I believe we can learn from Daniel's life about faith, about trust, and about courage that were learnt and put into practice right there at the dining room table that served him later on in the lion's den to have faith and courage. So the first thing is that we can see from Daniel and his friends of why vegetables are good for us. The first lesson is we can see they were free to choose. Now think about it. When the Babylonians took the people from the palace and took the intellectuals and took uh, the educated people back to Babylon, there were many, many, many people that were taken but only four stood out, Daniel, Meshach, Abednego, and Azariah. And even though there were so many, they would have all been followers of Yahweh. They would have all heard the Old Testament rules and regulations. They were no different uh, to these four men. But we see in this story only four of them chose not to compromise. Only four of them chose to not give in to what they saw was a strategy to let go of their convictions. Now we know that Daniel and his friends, from the, from the passage, they were uh, promising, intellectual, it says without physical defect. In other words, they were good looking. They were, you know, I don't know, ladies, if that gets you going, but Harry or William, I don't know, you know, they were handsome men. And, you know, they, think about it, they were royal, they were, um, you know, high-ranking, they were in line for uh, royal positions. They, you know, they could have been good-looking, they could have really been full of themselves, you know, like, I've got it all together. And therefore, I don't need to rely on, on God. I don't need to, I can rely on my position, my royal lineage, my good looks, my charismatic personality. But what we see again is that these men 
freely chose, they freely chose to trust God. Even though they could have had the finest affair. And not only did they freely choose to trust God, think about it, here they were taken as prisoners. Their their nation had been invaded, they'd been taken as slaves, the walls had been destroyed, the temple destroyed. Here they are, taken as slaves into Babylonia. If ever there was a time to go, God doesn't see me. If ever there was a time to say, God doesn't care to what's happening to me. If ever there was a time to say, you know what? This isn't real. God's not real. He doesn't see me. He doesn't care because if he did, he wouldn't allow these things to happen. If ever there was a time to abandon God, to turn their back on God and go, you know what? Stuff it. (laughs) We're in the royal palace of Nebuchadnezzar. Look at this food. I'm just going to do it. That was then. But we see that these men, even though there was freedom to choose, they chose not to walk down that slippery slide. Now, you know, people often ask me, how did you end up becoming a missionary? How did you know God was calling you to be a missionary, that you would give the last three decades of your life? My mother says, you gave the best years of your life to YWAM. You know, why, why would you do that? But I tell you, I've come to realize in my life, I, I used to be a primary school teacher at Kingston here in Brisbane. I taught for nearly eight years before stepping onto the mission field. And what I've come to realize is it's not always clear, God, should I stay as a primary school teacher or should I go into missions? Or let's look at the last 15 months. God, should I stay in missions or should I step in as a pastor at Gateway? You know, what I have found in those times of my life where I've had major what I call crossroad decisions, should I or shouldn't I? I don't know if you're like me. I love to quote back to God his scripture. I say, God, You say in your word, whether you turn to the left or the right, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Okay, God, I'm waiting. Should I I leave primary school teaching and be a missionary? Should I, left or right, God, tell me what to do. I'm waiting for this voice behind me to say, this is the way, walk in it. (laughs) Waiting, waiting, waiting. Often in my case, it's just Nothing, not really hearing too much. Okay, so then I go, okay, God, um, you say in your word, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge me, you say, in all your ways, and I will make your path straight. Okay, God, should I leave the mission field and be a pastor? I'm trusting you. I'm acknowledging you. God, make my path straight. What are you calling me to? Well, no, 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 God, I I just need to know, left or right, yes or no, God, tell me what to do, I need that voice from heaven, Eleanor, I need you to, to make it really clear to me, now, can God make things
things really clear? Of course he can. He's God. And many of you could attest to times where God has clearly shown you what to do. But what I have found in my life in these major crossroads decisions is I have often felt, stay with me with this illustration, like Esther. Now, if you know the story of Esther, Mordecai, her uncle, tells her to go to the king and ask for the favor of the Jewish people because they were going to be annihilated, to approach the king and beseech him for the, Israel, for the Jews. And Esther says to Mordecai, are you joking? If I go to the king without being summoned, without him extending his scepter, his rule of authority, and inviting me in, I can be killed. And Mordecai says to her, but don't you think God could raise someone up for such a time as this, that he's put you in that place for that very reason? And what I have found in my life just like Esther, when she approaches the king in the story of Esther, he extends the scepter to her, and what are the first words that come out of his mouth? Does anyone know? He says, what do you want? What do you want? I have found in my life Many, many times when I've been at these crossroads places in my life, God has ultimately placed into my heart, Alana, what is it you want? There was a freedom to choose. And it's been at those times where I've said, God, not my will, but yours be done. God, I'm stepping out in faith, knowing you were big enough to close a door if I shouldn't step into that, and knowing that you are for me, and you are more than faithful and able to complete that which you've begun. You know, the fact is, life is full of choices. And many, many times in life, God gives you, God gives me the freedom to make a choice. But there's a real dilemma sometimes in making a choice because am I compromising? Now, let's come back to the vegetables. You know, I'm someone in the spirit of uh, humility. I've struggled with my weight my whole life. It's been an area of, of growth. Do I go with a celery stick or the carrot or the chocolate eclair, especially when I'm hungry. Jimmy saw this this morning straight away and went, oh, yum. Now, I noticed she didn't do that about the celery and the carrots. Although I know Hannah and, you know, come on, admit it, you pair feeling a bit peckish this morning. You know, life is full of choices. I, <laughs> you know, I go to the shop. Ladies, I don't know, men, some of you can relate to this if it's your struggle. I go to the shop and I tell you what, or I can use Gateway staff team. Let me continue to pick on the staff here. You know, I, I sit in the, we, we have lunch together when we're all working at the McKenzie campus. And I sit in that coffee shop with the rest of the staff eating my lettuce 
and my cucumber and my celery, feeling like a cow, you know. And then there's Ben Dainton, Jimmy with their KFC nuggets and their pizzas and their Red Rooster and, you know, and, and I mean, look, you know, and I go, God, it's not fair. It's not fair, God, why, why me? And, you know, I go in the supermarket after work and I, I see these things and, and I go, get behind me, Satan, you know, because choice is hard work. Choices are hard because it's so much easier to pick the easy, tasty, convenient, fast, instant sugar hit reward. When it comes to, you know, something feels so bland and it's just like I gotta eat the roughage, you know? I know where my choice would naturally want to go. Well, it's no different in our walk with God. With choices that we face, life is full of choices. And if there's one thing I've learned as a Christian, the Christian life is day by day making consistent choices to say no to instant gratification, to say no to the things that I know he hasn't called me to, and yes to the things he has called me to. What are the choices you are facing today? Let's look at the second point. They willingly face a challenge and the test that lay before them. They willingly face a challenge and the test that lay before them. Now, a challenge is only a challenge when we're tested in it. In other words, if something's easy, it's not a challenge. A challenge is only something that has to be tested to see how, how difficult it is. Then it becomes a challenge. And we see in verses 12 to 14 that Daniel turns to the servant of the king and he says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. And so when Daniel was saying, test us, he faces a challenge but he faces it with courage and determination, and we know resolve, conviction, because again in verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So point number two, they willingly face a challenge. We don't know what's inside of us how we will act or react until we're faced with a challenge. As I said, I, I used to live in India, based in Mumbai or modern-day Bombay. 
if for those that remember Bombay. And I used to own, a, I used to drive in India. Now that is not for the faint-hearted, let me tell you. I had a little uh, Hyundai Centro, which is like a modern day, what, a little Getz? You know, those little teeny cars, all right? I was driving from Bombay to Bangalore in the south of India. It was about a 16-hour drive, and I was driving there with another missionary in this little, like, Getz Centro. And she, my friend was driving, and, and I was sleeping in the front seat. And we were on a, a freeway. I'm using quotation marks because that's the, the closest you could come to freeway that, that we were driving on. And I was fast asleep, but I woke up to the brakes screeching, and I put my hand on the dashboard, and beside us, my friend was overtaking a semi-trailer. So I, had a, I woke up to this semi-trailer, like literally, you know, two feet away from me, half a meter away from me. And I kind of startled awake, my hands on the dash, because she was screeching the brakes, so you know, you go forward with the seatbelt, and hurtling towards us on our side of the freeway was another semi-trailer. A shaktiman, they're called in India, a shaktiman truck. Another semi-trailer hurtling towards us, and we are beside a semi-trailer on the left side of us. With my hands on the dashboard, I uttered what I believed would be my last three words on this earth, and they were not, please, Jesus, help. They started with an S, they ended with a T, and I said it three times. <laughs> my last three words. I just picture myself standing at the pearly gates and Jesus saying, well, you certainly went out with a bang, Eleanor. <laughs> well, yes, God, <laughs> sorry about that. My last three words on earth would have been cuss words. You don't know what's there till the test comes. I wish it had been glory to God or please Jesus help. Instead, swear words. What are the tests that you're facing today? What are the challenges that you're walking through? Because again, it's not till we're tested that we truly know what's there inside of us. So even, you know, here I am now, a, a, a pastor. I almost wanted to go a pastor, but I am a pastor. And uh, I used to live in Mansfield, about seven minutes from Gateway. And I'm not someone who's always on time, I have to admit. And uh, so sometimes, you know, I have to be at church, let's say by 7.30, and it's 7.27 and I'm leaving home, so I've got three minutes to do a seven-minute drive to Gateway. And at the bottom of the street where I used to live was a set of traffic lights. But because it was a side street, it wasn't a main street, those traffic lights would stay red for all eternity. You know, the Lord says a thousand days is one, you know, a thousand years is one day in my sight. Well, that's kind of how those traffic lights would feel. And I'd be sitting there knowing I had three minutes to do a seven-minute drive to Gateway, and I'd wait, 
and I'd wait, and I'd wait, and I'd wait. The challenge, the test is coming, and I'd wait, and I'd wait. And in the end, I've only done it a few times. I'm not saying this with pride. I would look around, look in the rear vision mirror, on the red light around the side. Now, I know in this room you're Baptists, so you wouldn't do that, and you're Christians. But I've only done it a couple of times, but I want to tell you, then the conviction came. It's not good enough, Eleanor, not because you're a pastor, but as a child of God, a woman of God, if, you know, what's there, what's inside is what I see, not what everybody else sees, so that when you turn up to church, still late, but relatively on time, going, well, God bless you, and hallelujah, praise God, how are you today? Not that I would ever talk like that, but it's not enough, because God sees the heart. What are you being tested in? What are you being challenged in? And the final point that I want to bring today. So we know they were free to choose. We know that they willingly faced the challenge that lay before them. And the third thing, they kept their focus on God. We live in a world where it's so easy to lose our focus on God. But we see Daniel and his friends, by keeping their eyes on who God was, Yahweh, by putting him first and foremost in the way they lived and thought and prayed and acted, they put him above their comforts. They put him above the things that so often rob, steal, and destroy. In this life, there are so many temptations that come our way day after day after day that unless our anchor and our focus is in who God is, in his nature and his character and the things he's called us to, unless we keep the focus on the ultimate prize, it's so easy to lose motivation. It's so easy to make quick and easy and compromising decisions. It's so easy to go, you know what? Okay, I know I should lose some kilos for my health and, you know, but God, this looks so good instead. So I'll just kind of, you know, put it back there and, and chow down on this. We live in a world that wants to steal our focus. Back in the, you know, in the 80s, there used to be those 3D pictures. Do you remember those 3D pictures? You almost have to stare at them and put yourself into almost a trance. And then eventually, out pops the image in the 3D picture. Do you remember that? You had to really focus to be able to see the picture. Well, what are you focused on today? the immediate, the, the path of least resistance, the easy option. Because often God's ways take a bit of effort. Where God in his sovereignty calls us in our responsibility to work together with him. To say, God, it's not just about, God, you change me. God, you make me more loving. God, you make me, it'd be like me praying this prayer. God, make me skinny. 
<laughs> oh, it's not working. God goes, Eleanor, get off your butt and go for a walk. We work together with God, but we keep our focus on him. And that is why in Hebrews chapter 12, we're reminded, Paul tells us, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. It's only when our eyes are on God, are on Jesus, that things become clear to what is the most important thing. And so as Jimmy and the, and the team come back up, and just as we kind of wrap this up today, we see that Daniel's faith in the lion's den, Daniel's courage, his determination and conviction to God, it didn't start in the lion's den. It started right back in his study, in his heart to follow after the things of God, in his desire to put his focus on God in his willingness to face tests and challenges, in the, almost the spiritual disciplines of life to work muscles that he would need later on so that when he faced lions, he could stand there and say, I trust in who my God is because I know he is more than able. You know, in today's world, Everything is urgent. Everything requires immediate attention. You know, if we, if we send someone an SMS, unless we straight away see the um, little three dots, what are they called, ellipsis? We go, come on, why haven't they responded? We live in a world today that, you know, even for me, I can be having a conversation with someone after church and it's so easy for me not to be present as I'm talking to them. Even though I'm talking to them and, and smiling and, and listening and shaking my head, I'm thinking about 20 other things that I've got to do. And what happens is we're not present to the people in front of us. We're not present to the situations in front of us because we're so being pulled in so many directions. Our focus our energy is being pulled in so many different directions. The amazing thing, though, again, is that God, in His divine sovereignty, calls you and I, in our human responsibility, to say, God, I freely choose, I freely choose to put my focus on the things you're calling me to. And I freely choose to face what lays before me. Because God, I know that you are good and you are faithful. And that is where he builds our muscles. And that is what we can learn from Daniel. You know, God's desire for us 
is to commune with Him. Whether it's through vegetables or pastries or meat, that's irrelevant. The point of this message is choices have consequences. What are the choices you're facing? And a verse that has always been a guiding verse for me that I try to hold on to when I face hard choices is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And I love the way the Message Bible places this passage. Eugene Peterson's Message Bible says, Steep your life in God reality. God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. You know, we're saved by faith. Not by works, we're saved by faith. But I exercise, I partner with God by the choices I make day by day. To be present to people, to make healthy choices when I don't feel like it, to not just settle for the path of least resistance. And so as we end this time and uh, go into this final worship song, I believe God wants to challenge us afresh, each one of us. What is it you want? Where are you putting your focus? Where are you putting your attention? What is it you really want today? Put your eyes on me, the author, the perfecter of your faith. Turn your heart towards me. Seek me and my kingdom and trust that all these things will be added unto you, for I know what you need. And so this morning, I, I, I want to challenge us. If, if you uh, feel that you would like to respond to the Lord in some way, just between you and God, as we go into this song where we focus on who Jesus is and put our eyes on him, just, just have a time between you and God to say, God, I come before you afresh this morning and I set my eyes on you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.